The Trek Files, Season 8, Episode 16, Preliminary Tests for Makeup, Hair, Wardrobe, May 12, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, all you Trekophiles spelled with an F. Hey, especially you Trek historians, we've got a wonderful... And, and you craft people, you cosplayers, you're going to enjoy this today because it's going to be a step back in time, uh, which, is, which is a step that never gets old because everyone goes through this. Hey, look, I'm, I'll stop talking in circles. We've got a wonderful special guest with us today. and We've got a lovely little piece of history as our document this week. So check it out. It's right there as usual at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Trek Files. Here's a sample from it, but you want to be right back with us <laughs> as we dive in with this week's special guest. Take a listen. There will be preliminary makeup, hair, and wardrobe tests on Friday, May 15th, per the following schedule. 10 a.m. Richard Snell arrives with contact lenses. Marina Sirtis to trailer for hair. 10.30 a.m. Michael Westmore to makeup, hair trailer. Brent Spiner to trailer for makeup. Note, Gene Roddenberry must leave by 1.30 p.m. Michael Westmore must leave by 2.30 p.m. All right, Truckophiles, there you go. <laughs> a, a, a total slice of history right there before your very eyes. Um, and you probably guess who our guest is today, if you don't already know. I am so thrilled to welcome uh, a really good friend, uh, a makeup, uh, a Hollywood makeup effects legend from a legendary family. You have to read his book. Um, and uh, who I've always called the nicest guy in Hollywood, Michael Westmore, the Oscar-winning Michael Westmore, is and Emmy-winning, is with us today. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I always enjoy it. <laughs> well, you not only have you lived it and done it, you are so great about sharing it, too. And um, so I'm glad we finally got you on. Because, for one thing, I found this wonderful piece of paper. Have you seen this since the day? No, no, you know, and I'm sure I had that piece, you know, and it's like at the end of the day, you bye, yeah. and I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> All the millions of pieces. Yeah. So I, I know you've you've talked about uh, what an insane, you know, development period you had to develop all the assignments you had right out of the gate just for the regulars, much less the aliens of the week or whatever, or the looks of the week. Yes. I mean, what, what comes to mind when you when you uh, first see this? I, exactly what you said. I see it. I I remember. I remember all my meetings, uh, pre-meetings with Rick Berman and Gene Roddenberry and David Livingston, and uh, what I went through. Uh, I coming in to basically test to see, you know, if they want me, uh, and and the uh, that that Mike Westmore has to leave by two thirty. I think I had a meeting with Whoopi to deliver her mom's Mabley teeth that afternoon. I mean, there's so much of this. Uh, and, and even even recently, I've been doing 
back history on my family. And, you know, it's one of those things, I was just born into it, lived with it. And even Star Trek, my wife and I, Marion was pregnant when the original show was on. And we watched all those shows. So, and my aunt was the hairdresser, Pat was a hairdresser on. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the 60s, we're talking about the original series. The original yeah. series. Yeah. So it's like these things, I, I, for some reason, they kind of stay with me. Uh, I can forget what I had for breakfast, but I still, <laughs> like with my family, things that happen literally. My grandfather fought in the Boer War in 1900, and I have found things about him and cutting Winston Churchill's hair. He was a barber and a hairstylist. Um, and then the same with Star Trek. It's like I, I may lose the name of an alien somewhere that only worked one day, but I never worried about that at conventions because if I g- gave a hint of what the hell it looked like, you know, <laughs> 10 people out of 3,000 would, would shout the name out to me. So I, I never got lost for a, a, a name in the show. It's uh, and, and in the beginning like that, it's I remember we did first thing we did was uh, tests on Brent to find out, right. find a good color for him because Gene wanted to paint him either bubblegum pink or battleship gray. I didn't have <laughs> trouble convincing him that's not a good idea, but I told him, I said, you know, I, bubblegum pinky's gonna look like a Barbie doll, you know, Ken. And uh, <laughs> with a battleship gray, I, I told him, it's a kind of a reptilian color. And uh, I, I'd like to save it for, you know, the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, not very not very sympathetic. Oh, so yeah. he, uh, he agreed with me, and uh, we wound up doing, I don't know, testing 20 colors that, uh, yeah. come Monday. And according to this sheet, this was the first day that I met Brent and Marina. Yeah, now they started, uh, I know you didn't have much time, and it looks like you weren't even putting in full days here. No. Because the, the first day of shooting, when they went on location, and they had to have Brent for that up at, up at uh, it was just it was just Jonathan and Will, and uh, it's, the, it's the scene at the creek that's supposed to be on the holodeck, and Data with Brent. And that was the 29th, and then they started on the sets on the Monday after that. But um, it was, I mean, there's a little bit of footage that survived that's now out there on the bonus features and things where they've got like just a couple of shots of those, some of those looks for Brent and that, that, yeah, that pink, uh, that pink look. Well, now, so you, so let's talk about this DNA. And you mentioned your grandfather, you mentioned all your, the, the, the line is that all of your, your dad and your uncles all at one time ran the studio's makeup departments around Hollywood. Each one, at, uh, at one time, five of the six brothers were running uh, department heads of studios at the same time. And we're talking about Paramount, Warner Brothers, what, uh, Fox, Columbia, the old studios. Belznick, right. Uh, yeah. The old ones before the merger. Wally, Wally was at Paramount for like forty years, uh, so it was amazing. And I hadn't worked at Paramount. I had played at Paramount as a child. Yeah, when I was little, uh, I'd say about eight years old. Uh, my mom was working at Paramount on the road pictures with Bob Hope, Dorothy Lamour, and Bing Crosby. And I remember one set on Road to Utopia that the stage was covered in plastic snow two feet thick and the trees and the cabin and everything. And they didn't care. They let me go play in it. I could dive in it and play in it. They and the prop man and put it back together again. 
So it's uh, I, I grew up in Lutz, but that was the first time I had ever been to Paramount until I went for Star Trek. Now, you weren't stranger to science fiction. I mean, you, you so you, you'd seen Star Trek and enjoyed it, hadn't been a huge fan, but you knew it was there and you knew it was in the culture. Yes. And as they did the movies, had you ever gone in and thought about or, or tried to get on with the original series movies that happened before Next Gen? No, I was busy. I was busy at uh, other, you know, other studios and I constantly working. And uh, I was just alone for eight years. I was with the Crofts, Sid and Marty Croft for a couple of years. So I went from like that. The opportunity never came up. Uh, Freddie, who was, became the makeup department head for Star Trek, and uh, Fred Phillips. Fred Phillips, and it just uh, his daughter worked for Jana. She worked for me on Deep Space Nine. Uh, but um, I just you know, it's like opportunities that arise. You were busy inventing the slee stack, so you had your hands full of oh, aliens oh, yeah. over the <laughs> <laughs> land of the lost. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So, I mean, you're talking about people. Um, I mean, does this? You're such an easygoing guy, and this impossible. Was this typical, or was this worse than usual? What they're expecting out of you to get to get accomplished? Because over the span of this, you had to do, you had to come up with the Troy look because they really didn't know what they wanted with her either. The exotic was what they were going to say, but uh, her and Data. But then also you had um, you had you had Worf's look to come up with. Right. Well, yeah, and and with Worf, it meant a Klingon forehead, right? Yeah, and and I at that point uh, put the forehead on. We did a test. I'm looking at him, and this looks like a guy with a bumpy forehead and regular face from there down. And that's when I talked to Gene about uh, putting noses on the Klingons, so they had a, that hooked nose, which brought the makeup down into their face. And then I was John Chambers, who was my mentor. Man did Planet of the Apes mm -hmm. was in Argo. He was Argo. Um, that I thought that if we could only make teeth for him, because Michael would go. And here it is. <laughs> and he's supposed to big smile. Yeah, yeah. lock, lock, lock. <laughs> you know, he's got <laughs> all these white teeth. Uh, and it, it was going to be a pain to have to take a dental stain and do little paint him every so often when the came off. So then I talked them into letting me uh, uh, make teeth for him because in my apprenticeship back at Universal, John Chambers, who was a great makeup artist, but he started out as a dental technician, taught me how to make teeth. So I had been making teeth all along on different people whenever it came up, you know. Uh, and so even on Star Trek with the, with the Ferengis and the Klingons and the uh, pack lids and everybody else, <laughs> I made all the teeth because I could make them faster than anybody else. I, it's somebody else that might might know to have some knowledge of how to do it, but it was going to take twice as long. I could sit down and make three pair of Klingon teeth in, uh, in like two hours and and snap them into their mouth. And that's what happened along through this through the uh, the whole eighteen years I was there. They bring an alien in that's going to work the next morning and we need teeth for them. Well, I just take out whatever I wanted to do tooth-wise, grind, grind <laughs> it down, and and set them and everything. And literally in about in about two hours, I could fit them back in their mouth. And I always liked to 
get those teeth to everybody 24 hours ahead because there's certain letters that you, in words that you can't pronounce because your tongue keeps hitting uh, the back of them, mm-hmm. which is not natural. So that's, uh, you know, I put them in for the mouth, tell them to take them home and read their lines. And 99 times out of 100 or 1,000, they were fine the next day. But yeah, every Klingon missed the same letters and words, so they all sounded the same. <laughs> well, this is why I'm so glad you were born into Hollywood uh into Hollywood DNA because you understood that you're doing the, the thing to help the actor. It wasn't like, oh, deal with it. You were doing your bit to help the, the eventual quality of the show by making things as easy on an actor who might be working in mask and prosthetics for the first time, like one less thing to get in the way of the performance. You but, know, even with the masks, the, the thing that I did every time with somebody new was to, once they were in that makeup, it's a restriction to a certain point. I would have them go over and look in a mirror and touch their face, touch it with both hands where they would do this, do this, do, you know, now Mm -hmm. I want you to take an open your mouth and wiggle your face around like that. And then they realize it's not going to fall off. Otherwise in the very beginning, they would talk like this, you know, because they're afraid the glue will come loose and I can't destroy it. Don't, don't change those face muscles at all. Don't push it. Yeah. And the, uh, the worst thing for me was spaghetti. If they serve spaghetti at lunch and Klingons had it at lunch. But uh, aside from that... No, wait, 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 wait. You can't just drop that. <laughs> what? Because the, the spaghetti is staining oh, teeth? or I mean, what's, No, no. It, they take the teeth it, out, right? Yeah, well, uh, with, they always take their teeth out. Uh, not so much the, uh, maybe the, but like, Pyrogens or Cardassians and things like that that, that would have a nose piece that came down and wrapped around uh, oil and things like that and would have wrapped around their upper lip. Yeah. 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 So we always, everybody, but the whole, all my makeup team, which was actually all over the whole 18 years was fantastic. And it's just one of those things that uh, you watch for, <laughs> watch my watch yeah. time. I'm looking at this, this, uh, our, our memo here today. And a lot of these names, uh, so Richard, I mean, I see them in the. Some of them had worked Star Trek before. You were the you were the department head and coming in to do this. Oh, speaking of teeth, I love your memory that um, you left to go fit teeth for Whoopi because you did teeth. You were so good at it. You did that freelance for. I guess the word got around town that Mike Westmore is the teeth guy. If you need teeth, I did. I did. And and actors and makeup people would come to you for that. Like you said, Whoopi, but not pre pre Guinan days. She's doing a mom's Mabley. Um, and it was, and this was like her show. Yeah, the first time with that, and it wasn't teeth; it was gums. So I had to take a cast of her teeth and then make the pink gums that would wrap around. And uh, even gums are different shades, so I had to take a little test and see what color it was and get the right acrylic so she could put them in. And you know, if I did them again today, I might do them out of a soft material. And at that time, we didn't have that many soft materials, so it was a hard acrylic. But she she still used them, you know, on stage. Well, I you know, again, the idea that you're zipping in and out. This were you really? Were you, is this any more daunting than any other assignment you had when you jumped into you know, it? Really? I I approached everyone the same. It's like each one, everything I did was a challenge. When I did the movie Mask, uh, I went in and saw Peter Bogdanovich, and we talked and explained things and got me pictures. 
And I was actually offered the kid's skull, which was in, it's at Stanford. His mother gave it to the medical department up there because that disease is so rare. Hmm. The uh, calcium, you know, makes the head grow. Uh, but I approached that the same as I did a Klingon or uh, Vera Fawcett's teeth or anybody. It's like it was a creative. It was, it's almost like an artist painting a picture that they pick it up. And uh, how much does somebody uh, Winslow Homer Rockwell think about it after they wind up painting, you know, hundreds of pictures? And that's kind of the way it was with me. It was it's a challenge. And how do I approach it? And how are we going to create it and solve it and put it on camera? And it was, uh, right. yeah, I think that the, but with Star Trek, it was different because I had to have a new alien every week. That's what I'm going to say. The, it's one thing to say it's a creative challenge, but to have the time pressure and the quantity, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and we're dealing with, in this memo, we're dealing with regulars. So, like, what are we going to establish that we, later on, if we have to, we can only tweak them a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. And that, that's it with, like with Brent. His makeup never changed in the 18 years. Uh, Once you got to those tests, then it was set. It was yeah. set. Yeah. Where you'd have, like, Marina change your lipstick. And then Gates would see it and go, ooh, <laughs> I want that. <laughs> and I was doing Gates' makeup also. So it's uh, with the girls, things didn't change much. Just, you know, some beauty makeup that uh, might vary in different little eyeshadow or something, you know. Yeah. So over the over the years of Next Gen, at least, you did, uh, or of the series, you had a team who did everyone. You had regular people working on people regular, like Karen Westfield eventually did Armin, famously, for Quark. Who did you, but you were hands-on with the women from Next Gen? Who did you do hands-on all the time? Gates. Gates. Yeah. Uh, June did Marina and uh, my sister-in-law. And um, Michael Dorn, and she also did LeVar. But if there was something where June was tied up and couldn't do them, anybody, well, no, I can't <laughs> say anybody does everybody. <laughs> June couldn't, it wasn't, you know, she hadn't the, the background in being yeah. able to do data. Uh, Michael Dorn, Jerry Quist came with me very quickly after that. Uh, young 18-year-old I picked up and uh, trained him on Masters of the Universe. So and he had only done Beastman on Masters of the Universe. So I said, you know, Michael Dorn needs special care. Or I did Michael Dorn in the very beginning. They, they told me that he was going to shave his head and I could glue a piece of rubber across the top of his head. And I thought, nah, that's really stupid. Because if he has a cap on his head, and it's the same one every day. You don't have to about making sure this got straight or having to take it off at night, to clean them up to go home. It's with the makeup, it's just a matter of taking the forehead off and then with the little nose, taking the nose off. So yeah. Klingons are pretty easy cleanup uh, compared to a lot of those. Well, others. and the amazing, at the beginning, he was only going to be recurring. And that was even before you knew he was going to be, you know, called most every day, unless... He, you know, he was a regular then. Well, look, there is so much more I want to talk to you about. Um, and I, I'm, I'm even looking down here at all the names on the CC list down here at the bottom, because they're all production people. They're assistant directors. Corey Allen was the director, of course. Bob Justman, Rick Berman, and Les Landau, and, and Bab Subramanian. And there's, uh, you know, Bill Tice, Wardrobe. I mean, it's just all the people that are... Um, and then Richard Saber and Richard Snell on your team there. And Stu Satterfield was the Teamster driver, who has to be on the list to know about things. So you know, um, the thing is, you mentioned those names, bing, 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 
had stories about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why it, your your book is great, and then we've got the whole Hollywood uh, story before Star Trek. So, um, look, there's so much more to this I want to talk to you about. Can you come back and do another show with us? I've got some fun things I think I want to throw at you from across the Trek years, but um, there's so much more to doing makeup like this and running an apartment that people think about. Could you come back and talk to us about it? Sure. <laughs> Okay, great. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment, of course, are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek in Portal 47. That's me at LarryNimacek.com. That's where you can link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts, too, at our Tee Public shop. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.